All right. It is, it is good to be with you guys this morning. Um, oh, Melissa, if you've got kids who are here and they don't want to listen to me or you don't want them to listen to me, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the, uh, the children's church is beginning. You can head off with Miss Melissa in the back there, and we'll see you guys later. A couple housekeeping items before we get rolling this morning. First of all, you got your Bibles with you. Open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, starting a new ministry is difficult in that uh, you guys have to get to know one person. I have to get to know a whole lot of people. So if you guys could do something wonderful for me this week, if you could gift me with something, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to get a picture of yourself or yourself and your family, put names on everybody, write the things you want me to be praying about for you, and then hand me a physical copy of that sometime in the next two weeks. I've got a bulletin board dedicated to this in my office. I want to put that up so I've got daily prayer time where I can focus on you guys. And hopefully your guys, you guys are focusing on prayer for me as well. Amen? Okay. When it comes to thinking about what we're going to do, it's kind of a daunting task to go, where are we going to go as a church during this next year? So as I've been kind of praying about this, talking to the Lord about this, and thinking about it, I decided we would start with some Christian basics. And by Christian basics, I don't mean like simple things within Christianity. These are very deep and very complex. By basics, I mean foundational. And so let me tell you where we're going to go for the rest of this year, uh, just so you have a sense of where we're headed. Uh, beginning next week, we're going to do a series on the Great Commission. If you've ever asked yourself the question, what does Jesus want for me? That's what we're going to be answering during the latter part of this month and all of the month of July. In the month of August, we're going to be discussing feeding. We're going to be looking at taking in spiritual nourishment and growing as a Christian. In the months of September and October, uh, this is a big one. We're going to be doing Christian apologetics. Everyone say apologetics. apologetics. Uh, you might be thinking, that's a bizarre word. Yes, it is. It's a biblical word. Apologia means defense of the faith. So I'm going to be uh, taking you through September and October. We're going to be looking at evidences for the existence of God and reasons to believe in the Christian faith. If you don't know how you feel about God or you have friends or family members who are questioning whether or not belief in God is rational, bring them in September and October. That'll be important. In the months of November and December, we're going to be looking at the functions and roles of the church. And again, these things sound simple. Most of you probably think, hey, we've got a great handle on this already. Let's see what the scriptures have to say in that regard. All right, that being said, we're starting very simple today. Our sermon topic today is how to hear a sermon. Now, you might be thinking, that is ridiculously basic. You cannot seriously mean to sit here for the next 40 minutes or so and talk to us about how we should receive a sermon. A sermon about how to hear a sermon, really? Yes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken in a sermon and you, you sat through church and you thought, oh, that was great, and you leave church, and hours later, somebody's like, how's church this morning? You're like, oh, it's great. The sermon is great. I'm like, really? What was it about? And you're like, have you been there? Anybody? Okay. Uh, this, is, this is the case with most of us. Sometimes we hear it, and then it's immediately gone. And the problem is not necessarily the sermon there. It's not necessarily what is heard. It is sometimes the hearer. Amen? So we're going to deal with how to hear. Before we begin that, let me ask this simple question. What is a sermon? What is a sermon? Well, simple definition would be a religious discourse, especially one delivered as part of a service. I like the second one of these better, though. An often lengthy and tedious speech of reproof or exhortation. <laughs> Who doesn't love a lengthy and tedious speech? That's great. The term sermon actually does not appear in your Bibles. 
Now you might be thinking, wait a second, yes it does, like the Sermon on the Mount, that, it, it's right there in the scriptures. That's uh, one of your Bible headings, that's actually added later, that wasn't in the original manuscripts. So the term sermon is not there, but there is a similar Greek word, the word is usually translated preaching, the Greek word is keruso, and it means uh, basically to speak publicly about the things of God, to speak publicly about Jesus, his teachings, or the disciples' teachings. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, great. So allow me to break down in the simplest form what a preacher ought to be doing. This is my goal uh, as, I, as we go forward. This is what I will be trying to accomplish for this congregation. My goal is to, every week, meditate and pray and think and study, study, study the scriptures and study extra texts and spend, usually I spend about 30 hours a week really mulling over the topic that we're working on for that week. My goal is not so much to embellish what I think I know. My goal, my directive, is to find out what Jesus has said and what the scriptures say about a particular topic. Through just explicitly as it's spoken in the scriptures and also implicitly as it's spoken about in the biblical narratives. My goal for us as we get together every week is not that you come here and hear what Ben knows. My desire is that you come here and we go before the Lord and see what he has taught. Amen? So that's my role. What's yours? Let's talk about how to listen. Several weeks ago, uh, my family was having to get together. It's over at my parents' house, and uh, Dad had done a bunch of barbecue and stuff. And so everybody's getting plates of food, and we're going out on the back deck, and we're sitting down to eat together. And so Colton, my five-year-old son, he's got a plate of food, and he goes over to a table with several other kids and a whole bunch of the adults. And he sits down at the table, and he sets his plate down, and he goes, I smell women. And everybody just kind of stops and stares. What? And he sniffs again. I smell women. And my brother's like laughing and like everybody's bug-eyed looking at him like, what are you talking about? And he points to one of the plates wherein sits a slice of lemon. And he says, I smell women. <laughs> Colton cannot yet say his else. How do you listen? Do you try to hear the worst? Are you looking for offense? Are you looking for some reason to dislike what you're hearing? Or do you listen with charity? Is your desire to take in something that is good, that is spiritually nourishing? James chapter 1. If you guys have read your Bibles for any length of time, you know that James speaks about taming the tongue and controlling what we say. But did you also know that James speaks about how to listen well? This is why we're going to be using this as the crux of our sermon today. James chapter 1, we'll be looking at verse 19 forward. So we'll be doing 19 and 20 in just a moment. Do you have your Bibles with you? Yes? If you don't yet have your Bibles with you, guys, bring a physical Bible every week. Physical Bible, an actual one, not your digital ones necessarily. It's okay if you use those too, but a physical Bible. I want you to have pen ready, pencil ready, underline, write in the margin, ask questions, sharpen the swords. Um, there's no sound as sweet for a minister, a preacher, or a teacher than to hear the flipping of pages every time a sermon reference is made. So can you do that every week? Can you guys do that every week? Good, okay. These are not rhetorical questions. Sometimes I expect answers. Um, close your eyes for just a moment. Close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to listen to this passage, and I want you to think about our world, and I want you to think about whether this describes our world. Close your eyes. I'm serious. Close your eyes. 
You guys are still staring at me. <laughs> Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger that is patient, reflective, forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the standard of behavior which he requires from us. Open your eyes. Would you say that describes our culture well? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Any of you on social media? Not a good description of our world. Our world would better be described as eager for offense. Wouldn't you agree? Strongly desiring to be offended. I want to talk about being charitable and about charitable listening. Um, everyone say charitable. charitable. Not a word that we use very often. Um, so let's define it. Charitable means this. It means benevolent or generous or kindly. Do you have a handle on it? Let's define it by its opposites. That'll help. Okay, so this is not being charitable. Listen, unsympathetic, ungenerous, uncaring, tactless, discourteous, inconsiderate, unkind. When we come together as believers and we listen, do you think that we listen with charity? Well, I think we can say that the world definitely does not. But how about believers? How about Christians? Are we charitable listeners? What do you think? I'd say no. Uh, much to our shame, we are some of the thinnest skinned and eager for offense human beings on the planet. And it's not because that's the natural outworking of Christianity. It's because many of us are being ungodly in the way we're, we're dealing with what Christ has called us to. We know this from research. We know that when a person comes into a church building for the first time, they are not looking for a reason to stay. You know what they're looking for? Best reason to leave. They want to they have a good reason to go away and never come back. So that's what the average person walking into a church is thinking. Say something that offends me. And some of you right now, you might be thinking, uh, you know, I've, I'm not easily offended by things, Ben. I, I, that's not me at all. Some of you maybe who are here for the first time, you're reflecting a little bit and you're going, who's this guy to tell me that I'm offended easily and I'm looking for a reason to get out of here? We're not coming back. We are eager for offense. Now, I, I want to offer you a guarantee about what's going to happen as I preach moving forward. I can guarantee you that I will offend you at some point uh, during my ministry and preaching here at this church. I can guarantee you that I will offend you. Why? Well, I won't do it on purpose. I don't like stepping on toes. I don't like conflict. I'm not trying to be mean to anyone. So then why can I guarantee you that I'm going to offend you? Because it is impossible to preach the word of God without being offensive. It is impossible to say what Jesus said without it convicting people and making people feel a little bit uncomfortable. The dean of, uh, Af dean of um, African Christian University is a guy by the name of Vadi Buckham. Uh, he, he teaches in Zambia. He's a former preacher. He's a really cool guy. He's also like a, a jujitsu expert, and he's also got an amazingly cool beard. Uh, <laughs> Vadi Buckman, in a recent sermon, he, he used the term sodomite when describing a homosexual. So he dis was discussing this. He used the term sodomite. And as he said it, I cringed. I was like, oh, you can't say that. You can't use that word. Don't you know that's offensive to people? Nobody wants to hear that. And as a few minutes went on in the sermon, 
Dr. Dr. Buckham says, some of you are still offended that I use the term sodomite. I did that intentionally. He says, the reason you felt uncomfortable with that word is you've been jammed. The culture that is, it made you feel bad about invoking certain ideas. You know that term, the term sodomite is used in the Bible, right? Where are you taking your cues from on what to be offended by? Are you taking it from the scriptures and what God said? Or are you taking it from the culture? If nothing in Jesus' teachings is difficult for you, if you can hear the words of Jesus and it doesn't challenge you, it does not call you to reform, it does not cause you to feel like you need to change your life, do you know what you are? You're perfect. Or more likely, you're just not listening. Amen? Listen, friends. Jesus offended people. They didn't crucify him because he was Mr. Rogers. They crucified him because he made people very uncomfortable, powerful people very uncomfortable. Jesus was known as a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. This is the way he's described by both Paul and Peter in the New Testament. Paul offended people. James offended people. Peter offended people. The apostles and disciples, the early church fathers, and every person of note from that time until this, if they speak the word of the Lord, will offend people. Have you noticed how the the prophets in the Old Testament were, were treated? Was it with kindness? Why is it offensive? Because there's no way to tell somebody that they are wrong without coming across as offensive. And every week that we hear from the word of the Lord, every week, on some level, we are being told that our life is wrong. That there's some way in which we have not been following accurately. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, Jesus says this. He's talking about the last days. He says, at that time, many will be offended and greatly repelled by their association with me and will fall away from the one whom they should should trust and will betray one another and will hate one another. Doesn't that sound like our culture? Easily offended, angry at one another, lashing out at one another. If you go from this place and you speak the word of Jesus Christ wherever you are in your offices and your work, do you know your number one critic will probably be other people who call themselves Christians? Have you ever been around a conversational narcissist? Have you? You know what I mean by a conversational narcissist? Somebody who, when you talk, they're not listening. They're waiting for their opportunity to jump in. And so while you're talking, they're formulating their ideas and their more interesting stories so that as soon as you're done, they can wow you with what they know. Have you been in that condition before? Not that you're that, but have you been around people like that? The scriptures tell us here, they give us a directive. The directive in James is this, be quick to hear, quick to hear, that is, you're swift to listen. Have an eagerness to receive input. As we gather together, as you come in believers, part of your charitable listening is, you should be coming into this place going, God, I'm ready to hear from you today. Lord, what do you have for me? Quick to hear, be slow to speak. That is, have a reticence to contribute your own perspectives to these issues. Slow to speak. Don't just listen and then constantly interject and go, that's not right, that's not right. Listen and try to really hear what God's word is saying. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. When we're not like this, believers, when we do not listen intently, going, what do you have for me, God? We do not gain wisdom. All we're doing is shuffling up what we already know and dealing it out over and over again. You're not taking in anything. You're not growing. Decades ago, I worked for a... uh, retirement home. I was, I was a young man in college, and I was working third shift in a retirement community. 
to pay the bills while Lisa and I were kind of in early marriage. And, and in that context, I would be going around early evening sometimes, and I'd be taking a cart with me and, and picking up garbage. And occasionally I'd go into the Alzheimer's wing, and, and I'd see something interesting. Uh, it'd be a group of women, it was always for some reason a group of women, sitting around a table, and they were talking with each other, but they weren't really talking with each other. They were talking at each other. And so they would take turns talking, but none of them were having the same conversation. All they were saying was what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to speak about. And, and it would have been funny if it weren't so sad. It was sad. But what's pathetic about this is this is an amplified version of what you and I are doing most days. We tell everyone what we know. We talk about what we know. We think about what we know. It's all about what we know, what we understand, what we think. And we're not really taking in from the outside. Christians, it cannot be so with us. We must be charitable listeners. Let's talk about regulations for Christian anger very quickly, because James talks about it here too. Regulations for Christian anger. I know you're all waiting for this. Ben, tell us when we can be angry. Here we go. James, chapter 1, verse 19b and 20. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger that is patient, reflective, forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is the standard of behavior he requires from us. Now notice, James did not tell us we can't be angry, did he? He didn't say anger was off limits. He said be slow to anger. Why? Because that's how God is. God is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is very patient. He is very kind. Does he get angry? Yes, but it takes a lot to make God angry. So hasty anger, it's right out. Can't have it. That being said, James then tells us that our anger does not make us righteous before God. What does righteous mean? Good, it's a Christian word. <laughs> Let's all learn what the word righteous means. When I say righteous, I want you to think right before God. What does righteous mean? Right Being right before God, okay? So that God looks at you and he's like, that's my kid. That kid's doing exactly right. That's what I want right there. That is being righteous. And so James says, the anger of man does not produce that. When you get angry, listen, listen, you who are on social media. When you get angry and blow up, God does not look at you and think, good job. You might be getting a like from a lot of other people. You are not getting a like from the Lord Almighty. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. As believers, we need to constantly be looking for opportunities to set aside anger. Or better yet, to hand it over to one who has absolute control of these things. If I'm angry, I, I give it to the Lord who says, I will avenge, I will rep repay. That is, that's the God I want to hand this to. And you know what's great about that? If I hand my anger over to him, it frees me up to love my enemies, to pray for those who persecute me, to turn the other cheek. Amen? Engage in charitable listening. Secondly, James says we need to engage in humble listening. Humble listening. Say this, Lord, I want to hear. We can do better than that. Say this, Lord, I want to hear you. As opposed to hearing ourselves. Lord, I want to hear your truth. I want to hear from you. Look at verse 21. So get rid of all uncleanliness that remains of wickedness. And with a humble spirit, underline that, with a humble spirit, receive the word of God which is implanted, which is actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. 
Now, if you spend any time studying scripture, is pride good or bad? Bad. Okay. Pride is bad. Most of you knew that. That's good. <laughs> All right. Pride is bad. There is nothing that will stand between you and a real relationship with God like being arrogant, being proud. Humility is a really big deal in the Christian faith. It's actually impossible to make a conversion without it because ultimately, to, to convert to Jesus Christ, you have to say, I am not good enough. I cannot do this on my own. Humility is the very starting point of that relationship. If you've seen our uh, recent videos promoting the next sermon series, you know that I don't take my dignity too terribly seriously. I've been uh, alive for 44 years. I've been in the ministry for 20 years, and I can tell you this, I'm not impressed with myself. Um, I have an uncle, James, James Mankowski. Some of you guys know James. James has taken on the mantle of, of what looks like a New Testament apostle in many ways. The guy has foregone marriage, and he's gone to some of the most difficult places in the world. He served in India, in, in like some of the most impoverished places in India. He's serving in Vietnam right now. Um, deep, deep spiritual guy. Right? Um, I was sitting with a friend of mine, Todd Jefferson, and he and I were having a, a dinner with James at one point. And we were kind of gushing about him a little bit, like, man, you, it is just, it's amazing to be in your presence. And he's like, don't even say that. He's like, there's, there's nothing impressive about me. And he took such a, I mean, this guy's doing the work like, like the Apostle Paul, right? And to hear from him and go, there's nothing impressive about me, makes me go, well, if there's nothing impressive about you, there's certainly nothing impressive about me. Have you, like me, looked in the mirror and found what you see wanting? Have you considered yourself and, and asked this question, God, how can a God like you use a person like me? Let me tell you a pr profound truth I've discovered. It's precisely in these moments when we stop being impressed with ourselves, when we stop trying to tell other people how great we are or, or coach ourselves on how great we are. It's precisely in those moments when we look in the mirror and we see a wretch that God looks at us and goes, that's something I can use. When we are weak, as Paul describes it, when we are weak, he is strong. His power is perfected in our weakness. When you come before the Lord and go, I can't do this, but you can, God is able to take you and do something with it. And it's very much the same when we gather here. When we gather to listen to a sermon, if, if we're coming in proud and arrogant, if we're going, look, God, what do you have to teach me today? Think about how absurd that would be to say to God. Can we all say this together? God knows more than me. Do you believe that? Is that a controversial statement for you? I would hope that it's not. And yet sometimes when we approach the church, when we approach the word, it's like, ah, wow me if you can. I don't know. Ah, this is hard to retain. God knows more than me. Every time we show up as a gathering of believers, we should humbly come before the Lord going, you have something that I don't, and I need that today, Lord. Commit to receive the word. Look at verse 21. So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness. And with a humble spirit, look, receive the word which is implanted, which is able to save your souls. Receive the word. Receive the word. The most important part of any sermon is the word. What's the most important part of any sermon? The word. The word. Let me give you a difficult, weird teaching. Oh boy, here we go. Something different happens when a believer hears the word than when a non-believer hears it. When you as a Christian, as a disciple of the Christ, hear the word, something happens that does not happen with somebody who is not a follower of the Christ. 
And it's difficult for some people to understand. It's even difficult for many of us to understand and process within the church. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says something really interesting to the church at Rome. Listen to the phrasing here. So faith, that is trust in God, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word. Wait a second. Don't I have to hear first before I have the word? Why is he saying that I have the word before I have hearing. Michael Heiser, who's one of my favorite theologians now, uh, says this. He says, if you're reading the word and uh, something looks strange, it's probably important. If you read the word and something looks strange, it's probably important. The phrasing here is that I, re- I, I have this reception of the word, I receive it, and then now I can hear it. I'm able to hear. So you have the word first, then hearing. This might seem odd to you, but you're going to receive the word from God on a regular basis and you will not get it. You're not going to understand it. Now, I want you to understand it. I want for me to understand it. But I want you to realize that throughout the history of the world, people have received God's word and they haven't gotten it for this reason. Not all of it is even completed yet. Do you know that every time a prophet received the word from God, when they received a word from God, they had to say things, and many of those things that didn't come to pass for hundreds of years, they had no idea what they're talking about. They're, just, they're saying these words, and, and they don't know how this is going to shape out. And during the whole of their lives, they went to their graves without knowing what was going to come about. When you read the words of Isaiah, and you see what this man said about the Christ, he had no idea what he's talking about. A suffering servant? What does this look like? And yet he spoke the words, and people received the words, even though they didn't understand the words. Now, that being said, please understand what I'm about to tell you next. I love the mind life. I am very big into understanding. I I am by training a philosopher. I love sociology. I love history. I love theology. I, I, I love the sciences. I want you to understand all these things. But there are some things in this life that you will not readily grasp. And if you wait until you understand the scriptures to receive them, you're going to be forbidding God from working in you. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, Think of a mind, your mind, like a tunnel. Okay, so your mind is a tunnel. Just visualize it. My mind is a tunnel. Um, On one end is your spirit, the innermost man, the eternal self. And on the other side is all this input that we get from the world. What you hear what you see, what you taste, what you touch, what you feel, what you think, the lessons you're taking in. All of that on one side. On the other side, the human spirit. Now, in the midst of that tunnel are a series of gates and guards for those gates. Okay, visualize this. You've got gates and guards at each of those gates. So your gates are things like personal preference. An idea comes along and you're like, I don't like that. I I would prefer that that weren't true. And so you reject it, and the gate guards send that idea away. No, you're not getting in. You're not becoming part of my permanent self. Or maybe you have a gate of experience. Does this fit with all of my experiences in this life? And if it doesn't, then I reject it. I push it away. This can't come in. This can't become part of me. A gate of evidence. Is there enough reason to believe what I'm hearing? If not, I send it away. A gate of understanding. Do I get it? Does this make sense to me? Is this coherent? And if I don't get it, then I send that idea away. A gate of assimilation. Does this fit with all the rest of my views? Lastly, for most of us, is what I would call a gate of self-preservation. 
There is a sense that if I let something through that last door, if I let it touch my spirit, my inner man, it will alter me forever. And so we're very careful to guard that gate. Listen to me. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, if you have called him Lord and Savior, what has happened is Jesus has moved through every one of those gates. Every obstacle that was before him, your personal preferences, you threw the door open at some stage of the game. Your experiences, you threw the door, come on in. Come on in, Lord. And you let him through. And it comes all all the way to that point where you say, my self-identity, am I willing to let Jesus into that last door? And he knocks and you say, come in. And when he moves into that part of your life, it alters you forever. You become something different. You become dead to self. You're born again. This is the gospel message. And it radically alters every one of the gates and every one of the gatekeepers of your mind. It changes forever who you are. Now imagine, that has happened. If you're a believer, that has happened to you. And imagine the next week you come into church and Jesus says, I've got something for you today. And you're like, get in line, buddy. Let's see some paperwork. And instead of inviting Jesus into the core of our being, where, by the way, God has described in Ephesians 3 that we basically set up this tabernacle for him in our hearts. Instead of inviting him and letting him back into his home, we're going, "Ah, I don't know if I believe that. That doesn't correspond to evidence again. And so we're making Jesus wait in line at the DMV. When you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, when when Ben says something, give it all the scrutiny you want, right? Uh, hold the, keep the guards at the gates and don't let it through. But if the word of God comes to you and you are hearing the word of God, throw open the gates, have the guards stand back and let it into your spirit. It might take a day. It might take years. It might take until we reach eternity. But at some stage of the game, understanding will come with those scriptures. You have to trust God enough to say your truth will be my truth. And I'm going to let that change everything else about me. Amen. Let me appeal to your uh, let me appeal to your gate guards for just a second. Jesus' disciples, when Jesus taught his disciples, um, they didn't understand what he said most of the time. Do you know that? Watch their reactions to what he does. Look at his responses to his disciples. He's occasionally going, "Are you guys so dull?" Do you not get it? How long do I have to put up with this generation? And then you, then you watch their bumbling attempts to do what he says to do, and you go, oh my word, these guys don't get it. They don't understand either. They've received the word, but they don't get it. I see this powerfully exemplified in this one instance in Jesus' life. You remember uh, when Jesus feeds the 5,000? And after he's fed the 5,000, uh, the people come to him after this is all done, the, the next day, and they come out and they say, teacher, Give us manna from heaven. You know, show us, show us this sign to show us that you're worth listening to. And Jesus says, oh, you want a meal? How about you eat my flesh and drink my blood? Did the people know what that meant? <laughs> no. Jesus drove away thousands that day. Thousands of people were following him, and they all went, this is a difficult teaching. How can anyone accept this? And they left. Jesus then turns to his disciples, and he says, uh, what about you? You guys going to leave me too? Peter says something beautiful. He says, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? What Jesus has said and spoken, notice the disciples did not understand. They didn't get what he meant, but they still received it. They didn't go, oh, he must be referencing the fact that he's going to die in the future, and then he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to change the Passover feast and give it a whole new meaning. They didn't know that. 
All they knew was who he was, and they allowed his word to set in them. Humble listening. We must listen with charity, charitable listening. We must engage in humble listening. Lastly, we must engage in more than listening. More than listening. Say this, Lord, I want to hear. Lord, I want to hear your truth. And with a little fervor, Lord, I want to hear your truth and obey. We mean that. Let's look at verse 22. Let's discuss more than listening. Verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. If anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he's like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who carefully looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does. Let me ask you a question. Why do we look into mirrors? Some of you, the older we get, the more we ask that question, right? <laughs> Why am I even looking into a mirror? There was a time in life when looking into a mirror was a blessed occasion for me. <laughs> not, not so much these days. My present trips in front of a mirror are usually cause for disgust and regret uh, and, and a little life coaching. When are you going to stop eating like this, right? The mirror shows you the truth of yourself. It shows you who you are. That's why you look into a mirror. Why do we take in the word of God? Because of the same reason. It shows us who we are. It shows you who you are. Look around the room here very quickly. Go ahead and make eye contact with a few other people. When we get together, the purpose of your hearing the word is not for those people. The purpose of your hearing word is not for the people across the room or in the back who really needed to hear that message or the people who are outside of these doors somewhere else. It's not for them. When we come in, we gather together, the purpose of our hearing the word is so that we can see ourselves. Your first priority is how does this, what I'm hearing, impact me? How will this change how I live leaving this place and going forward? Why do we look into mirrors? Well, it reveals who we are. What do we notice when we do look into mirrors? Women, you use mirrors better than men do. It's not just based on volume of time. It's not just by the fact that clearly you're better put together than I am, right? It's not just that. What, let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you to help me out here. What are you looking for when you look in the mirror? Are you looking for everything that's going right or are you looking for something that went wrong? Something that's wrong. This needs to be our approach as we gather together as believers. We're looking for something that's wrong. I, I do this thing when I step in front of the mirror. Maybe some of you are, are like me. Um, I don't pay a lot of attention. I, I give it that nanosecond enough that I can suck in my gut and turn sideways and <laughs> give it one of these before, before heading into the shower. Um, and that, unfortunately, is how some of us approach looking into the mirror of Scripture. Listen, right now, as you sit here today, let me tell you some things you've done. First of all, you woke up this morning. You got out of bed. Congratulations. But then you got yourself or your family to church. 
That feels pretty good, right? Yeah. Some of you maybe even have read your Bibles today. You probably looked at your scriptures a little bit. During the worship service, some of you probably directed yourself to God. Maybe you, you engaged in some prayer during that time. I hope that you're thinking through these words as we're saying them. So you're feeling pretty good about God right now. This, right now, this is probably your spiritual best for the week, wouldn't you say? This doesn't look like Thursday or Friday. So what you're getting when you read the scriptures and we come in here is your spiritual best. You're, you're giving a look in the mirror as you're sucking in your gut. Does that make sense? All right, so part of what we need to, do, need to do as we gather is we need to think about not just the person I am today, but the person I am the rest of the week. We have to become doers of the word. When we leave this place, after we've taken in a sermon, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to forget or we are going to forge. We will either forget or we will forge. You'll either go forth and you'll, you'll go, huh, it was a decent sermon today, I guess. The, the story about the kid was pretty funny. And and somebody will go, what did you guys discuss today? And you'll go, I don't know. Like somebody who looked at themselves in a mirror and then walked away and went, I don't even know what I look like. It's like that. Or you walk away and you go, who am I? What do I need to be? How did I not mesh up to God's standards today? What do I need to be moving forward? All right. Well, let me give you, uh, let me give you something that I've not seen in the church before, but I think it's going to be helpful. At least I'm going to be giving it to you. At the back of the room, you're going to see one of these. Underneath the offering box. Oh no, this minister comes with homework. <laughs> um, what this is, is this, is this is just a series of discussion questions. So here's what happens after most of our church services. We leave this place, and most of you go out to eat with somebody from church. You know, you usually gather in groups and you go hit a restaurant locally. Sometimes you, just, you guys just go home and, and maybe have lunch with the family. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Grab one of these per family group or one of these per, per lunch group that is heading out and set this on your table in whatever, whatever restaurant you're going into or whatever home you're going into. If you're going home, use this sometime during the day. If you're not going to use it, don't pick one up. Nobody's grading you back there or anything. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, over your lunch and, and your time together, I want you to have a discussion about these things. I want you to ask a question, and I want you to sit and talk about it as a group uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, it's a public witness. Um, many of you have never had a conversation with anybody about God. You notice when Jesus evangelized crowds, do you know that he did not go out and seek a crowd? Did you know that? In fact, he's not even talking to a crowd most of the time. Do you know who he's talking to? His disciples. And so what he did is he went out in public and he talked about the things of God with a group of people who were interested in the things of God. And what happened was the crowd began to gather at that stage of the game. If you're going to a restaurant locally, be kind and genial and loving to the waiters and waitresses. Invest yourselves in their lives. Tip well. And then do it again in another week another two weeks, another three weeks. Meet people. Let people listen into your conversations. Throw it open to God and just go, Lord, hey, if you want, if you want us to say anything for you today, we're just going to be your people in this place. And if, if you've got somebody who wants to join into this, you bring them on along. Lord, we'd love to have them. This is also going to help you with life application. It's not just what we heard today, but how do we apply this in our lives today. It's also going to help with retention. Uh, here's what I've learned about uh, Teenagers and teenagers are not terribly unlike adults. If you don't say it over and over again, 
they will not re remember. So if you don't say it over and over again, they won't remember. If you don't say it over and over again, they won't <laughs> remember. Here's what needs to happen. If, if you guys go forth from this place and you don't say another word or think another thought about this sermon, it'll be gone. And the Lord might not be able to recover it if you have not really given your spirit over to it today. I'm asking you to do this. As we leave this place together, would you just go and think about it a little bit during the day and talk to somebody else about it? If you'll just take one aspect of the sermon that hit you and just speak to somebody about it, the Lord will be able to infuse that into your permanent being. So, listening. It's a discipline. Oh, no. Nuts. That's difficult. As you gather in, as we come together as believers, it is important that not just that whoever's up here speaking is prepared, but that you, the fellow believers, are prepared to be benevolent, to be humble, and to be more than listeners, to be doers. Let's go to our master in prayer. Lord, we want to hear your truth and we want to obey. Our God, we want to take in what you have to offer us and we, we want it to be powerful. So God, I pray that uh, throughout the years that we're together, that Lord, every time we gather together, Lord, first and foremost, we're saying, hey, I need to hear from you, God. You know more than I do. You have understanding that, that boggles my mind. I'm here to listen today. Holy Spirit, speak to me. That we throw open the gates of our mind and have the gate guards step aside and that we receive the word and allow it to change us from within. Lord, I pray that we, more than that, that we become doers. Just as James spoke about that there were two people who heard, but one forgot because they did not do. Father, that we would go forth from this place and we would seek opportunities to do these things. Help us to be people who abide by your truth. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.